You are listening to episode 17 of The STEM Space. We are hitting pause on our series on misconceptions to bring you the first of a two-part show on failure. When was the last time you failed at something? Turns out that we all need that practice. Stay tuned to the end of the show where I will be challenging you to join me in a unique assignment that will greatly benefit your students and yourself. Welcome to the STEM Space, hosted by Vivify co-founders Claire and Natasha, two aerospace engineers turned educators, sharing our passion for all things STEM. Check us out at vivifystem.com. Are you ready to talk about failure? Uh, Always and never. (laughs) (laughs) Does it make you anxious just hearing the word failure? Very anxious. I feel like that's something that I am most disingenuous with when I'm talking to my students about failure is I'm preaching all these things, but I feel like I am not good at modeling how to correctly address failure. Right. Every time we do an engineering design challenge, it's always, it's okay if you fail. That's how we learn. Engineers fail all the time. And we show our video when we were aerospace engineer undergrads, we have that rocket engine test and it just completely falls apart complete failure and we're like it's okay that's how we learned and we were better next time but man does it not fun to fail (laughs) it isn't and you know there's always that anxiety and that panic when we're doing our own thing so how do we teach kids while also teaching ourselves how to how to it's an ongoing thing right I don't think there's anybody that's actually mastered how to deal with failure Right. And that's why what I wanted to talk about today was failure, but also from the perspective of how someone who's new to something is going to fail a lot at it and how they approach solving a problem differently than somebody who's an expert at it. So for Mm. our class assignment, it was the worst homework assignment I've ever had. No, no. (laughs) She tasked us with something, which was, I want you to go out and fail. I don't care what activity it is. It can be anything. It could take you 10 minutes. It could take you all day, but of whatever activity you want, but you have to fail and you need to experience that because she said, a lot of you are perfectionist and you probably haven't experienced a lot of failure. She's probably talking right to me. (laughs) (laughs) And Mm -hmm. she's like, you need to know what it feels like because your students experience it. And you need to go through those feelings of failure and anxiety, because how can we talk about it with our students without experiencing it ourselves? That is a great point. I, I mean, how do you even go about that though? How do you choose something that you're going to fail? Because if I were to be really honest, if I were given that assignment, I would look for something that I would fail at a little bit, but also wouldn't be embarrassing. <laughs> right? So when I started it, it was this whole philosophical thought of what is failure? What does <laughs> it mean to fail? Is it, do I, can I watch a video to help me learn? Like if I'm going to cook something, do I just have to like throw ingredients together? Can I watch a how-to mm. video? just to start, I didn't even know, like I was failing at the activity. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. Yeah. What is failure? Is it just not doing it right or something not working the way it's supposed to, or not doing the background part? (laughs) Yeah. Is it the process? What is it? I don't know. And so afterwards we got to see what our classmates did and she actually, our professor participated 
So apparently I took this really seriously. Hers was to create a statue out of tofu. She took a block what? of tofu. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and she made a little Buddha statue out of it. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> uh, we can post a photo of that. <laughs> so yes. let me tell you how I got through this. Since I couldn't figure out what to do, I decided to outsource and I gave this assignment to my husband and I told him, I want you to come up with something for me to fail at. And he was really excited <laughs> to do that. Mm. And he came back with this game that he loves to play. It's this online game called Web Diplomacy, similar to Risk. So you have a country in Europe that you're trying to defend. So I was France and I had all these territories and I had an army and a fleet and I had to go send them to other places like England and Spain and take over their countries. So the point of the game, every round, each of the players move their armies and fleets and you try to either keep the territory you have or take other territories. I don't know. It was a lot. So in the beginning, it was kind of fun, but I was overwhelmed with the rules, but my husband could not stop talking. He was like, oh, you should do this, but you got to do this. You got to think about this. And I'm like, this is defeating the purpose of failing. Like I just yeah. need to experience it. Right. But he was just so excited that I was playing this game with him. <laughs> and so and the best part is he titled the game, a lesson in failure. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so finally he stopped talking and let's just say after about 15 minutes of this, I just got really frustrated and just started making up moves. I was like, yeah, just move it there do that, whatever. I don't care. And I, I totally lost the entire game, which was good. Cause that was the point, but it did not, it was not a fun process. And so the whole point of this, I think it worked was I needed to find something that I'd never done before, which I'd never played this game before. I wasn't good at it. And I could actually compare myself to an expert because he has played this game way too much. And so when I first started the game, it was overwhelming and I just couldn't take in all of the different strategy that was involved. So if you're starting something new, like you want to play chess, for example, there's all these moves that you can do and how a novice, somebody who's never done something, approaches a problem versus an expert is so different. And the reason we're talking about that today is in the classroom, the teacher is the expert, right? So let's mm -hmm. say you're trying to teach about physics or we're engineers, so we're trying to teach about engineering. When we talk about it, a lot of the processes are automatic. It's like driving a car, right? You don't mm -hmm. have to think every time you hit the brake, hit the gas, but when a student comes in and is trying to learn to drive, you're like, oh yeah, you should look to the right <laughs> before you turn. Oh, you need to put your blinker on. Like these are automatic processes that we don't think about anymore. And the more of an expert we are, the more automatic it becomes. And I can relate this to a guest speaker. For example, if we bring somebody in from like NASA and they're talking about their job as an engineer and they're just so high level and the can't even, the kids don't even understand what they're talking about. To them, it's just every day, they experience it all the time. And how do you make it something relatable that the kids can understand? So that's the whole topic here is as a teacher, you, it becomes second nature, these concepts that we're trying to teach, like we've talked about photosynthesis or the phases of the moon. It's just so obvious to us as teachers, but when you're coming in as a student and you're a novice and it's brand new, you lose that as an expert of how do I teach it in a way that someone you can understand it. So the point is to not set them up for failure early on, or is it to help them be able to experience that failure because it's inevitable because they're a novice? 
Right. So the connection here to failure is that we as teachers just need to experience failure to understand what the students are going through, because as novices, they're not going to get it right the first time. Mm -hmm. And we sometimes forget what that process is like and what that anxiety and the stress of being and doing something brand new. We just need to keep that in mind. Let's do an example. So whenever we were engineering students and we had to solve a problem, um, let's pick a class, like thermodynamics, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I picked <laughs> you that one. A, right? <laughs> when you got a problem, a homework problem, what was the first thing you would do if, you know, Dr. Carpettis threw out that homework problem? What, what would you do as a student new to thermodynamics? I would write down every equation that I thought could relate, write down all of my assumptions, pretty much put down everything that could possibly be part of the solution. Yeah, because you're like, I don't know how to approach this. You, you're not sure of the big mm -hmm. ideas that are relevant. You have no idea what is relevant. And there's so much you have to filter through. And that's what students are doing when they're trying to understand some problem. They're doing a homework assignment. And they probably go to the chapter. They're like, oh, well, I know we're learning about chapter two. And this problem looks just like that problem you worked in class. And so they make these connections. But we're not trying to teach them how to connect the problem to a homework assignment in a chapter, right? We're trying mm -hmm. to get them to see the big idea. And that's the downside of having students do memorization, these standardized testing. They're just becoming these machines, right? Where they're just like putting in pro uh, numbers into an equation and spitting it out and having no idea what any of that means. And for them to move beyond this novice phase into an expert phase, we need them to understand the patterns, the big ideas, how, how do you as an expert approach a problem? What are the assumptions you're making? And so it's been fascinating this week to read some of the research. They had students that were working, going back to physics, they showed them all these pictures, these free body diagrams. So it's like an object with all these forces and they categorized them on how they would approach solving them. And they did the same activity with physicists. And so the students were like, well, that has all inclined planes. So you must use the same equations for that. Whereas the physicists knew that depending on what you were looking at, which equations you needed to solve to solve the problem. So they categorized it by equation or big ideas. And that's what the students, we need to get them there. So how do we move them beyond just trying to get the answer as quick as possible versus like stepping back? Okay, what are the big ideas? What are the equations that are relevant here? It's a difficult task. So I don't really have an answer here. I'm just kind of talking about, you know, this is something we need to be aware of um, when we're in our classroom and the things that we do automatically, we have to stop. Okay, what did I just do? How did I approach that? How mm. can I teach that to my students? Yeah, so it's really of taking back the perspective of anything that we're teaching as to what was it like the first time you learned it? And what things do you need to know? What's the, what are the prerequisites to the class of your, what you're teaching right now? And that reminds me of a class that I took in high school. That was, it was my first computer science class. Back then I was learning how to program in Java. Um, I don't even know if they teach kids Java anymore, but my, I was really stressed out because computers were kind of a new thing in my school and I'd never done any programming before. I wasn't sure if I was ever going to use this and I couldn't get anything to work. And my teacher came up to me and he told me something that has really changed the way I approach education in general. As he said, you are doing the right thing 
right now because you are fitting inside the equation. I was like, what do you mean the equation? And he said, there's an equation that gets you to where you are right now as a beginner to being the expert. And he said, and you are doing exactly what you need in that equation. He said, the equation is bewilderment plus exposure equals obvious. He said, if you don't have that bewilderment where you have no idea what's going on, you're stressed out, then you've missed part of the equation and you'll never get to the obvious part. I'll help you fill in the exposure and I'll teach you more and we'll build upon these topics, but you have to have that bewilderment first. And so you're doing it. So he was like, good job. You've got it. Which, you know, at the time was like, that's not helpful, right? (laughs) Like, I don't want to be bewildered, (laughs) but I mean, that's the point is we all will have to be exposed to something for the first time. So helping our students understand that that's okay. And that we'll build upon that with exposure. And we need both of those parts of the equation to get to where it will eventually be obvious. I think is key. Yeah. And learning is uncomfortable and we don't like making our students uncomfortable, but it's part of the process. We can't learn for them it's on the students to learn for themselves. And they need, like you said, bewilderment is not a good place to be. It doesn't feel good. And that's why I think going back to the engineering design process and teaching kids to be okay in that space of like, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I'm gonna try. And this is exciting and fun and it's okay. We're gonna fail together, but we're gonna learn from it. That's part of this idea of growth mindset, right? Teaching Mm -hmm. kids to keep pushing through it And we talked about motivation in the past. How do we get our kids to be motivated to learn? One example here is when I was an undergrad in engineering, I was just doing whatever I could to get through that class. I was like, okay, give me the answers in the back of the book. Okay, what equation do I need? Like, I don't care. Just throw it in my brain, memorize everything, spit it on the test and move on. And I wasn't motivated to the point where I was actually learning something for the sake of learning and for using it in the future and applying it. And I feel like now being back in school, I have a totally different approach of this stuff is so interesting to me because I use it and I experience it and I see the value of it. So I'm very motivated to learn it. How we get our kids to be in that space is very difficult. And if any teachers out there have any tips and tricks on keeping your kids curious and motivated, I'd love to hear it. But you can definitely see that difference in a student who just doesn't care. Whatever you do, you're never going to get to them. They have to help themselves um, be excited and get them to learn. Yeah, that is so true. And we've talked about different motivators in where kids see value as making sure that they see that they are part of using that in the future. We mean connecting it to real world applications, right? If you talk about, you know, geometry, you're not just learning it for the test. Like you're going to need to know your shapes if you want to be that engineer or if you want to build houses or you want to do something awesome. Let, look, these, these real mm-hmm. STEM people, professionals use these things that you're doing right now. And why don't we do a project that's kind of similar to what they do in the real world? And you'll use those skills and it will be exciting, engaging. You can see where education is taking you. And that's why we see that STEM is just so valuable to have in the classroom, in every classroom, because it gives those kids that perspective of being able to connect what they're doing to what they could do in the future. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of a story that my husband, who's now a mechanical engineering professor, so he loves math. But when he was in high school and he was struggling through calculus, he asked his teacher, 
why do I need this? Like, why is this important? All these squiggly lines and like, what are, what are we doing? And his teacher told him, well, if there's a day that you want to count how much sand is on the beach, calculus would be very useful. (laughs) And he was like, what? (laughs) And now as a professor, he was like, of all the examples and (laughs) connections to the real world he could have made, that was the least helpful and motivating. Because to Justin, that's like, that's useless information. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And I think, you know, that's why, I mean, we were already predisposed to being passionate about space exploration, just kind of by the nature of what we decided to major in. But as we're doing this space club with kids and all the time I'm connecting what we're doing in the classroom and STEM to space exploration and gets kids so excited about how they can do big things with just the small things that they are learning each day. And there's something that I use as my call and response in my classroom. I'll say, when I keep going and they respond with my brain keeps growing. And we have this conversation about how, Hey, you don't give up. We keep moving. And you know how your brain when you were born was pretty small. Think of about a baby's brain and they don't know much. They kind of depend upon everybody. I mean, you know this, you have a baby right now. They depend upon you for everything, (laughs) right? It's like, but you're not like that anymore. And the more you keep going and don't give up and keep learning and striving for more knowledge, you're going to keep growing and you're going to learn all this stuff and get to do even more exciting things. And maybe one day, you're going to be that person that's going to be walking on Mars. And all it takes is just doing that next equation or build that tower again that fell down. That's the next step because those same people that are going to the moon in 2024 did the same thing that you're doing right now. And they did not stop going. They kept going. So that's, I think, what our whole point is in trying to get these kids to see that perspective Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's really cool that you were able to experience that failure. And I think that's inspired me to try something. I haven't failed in a while. <laughs> I think we should make this a challenge for all of our listeners. If mm. they want to do this with you, Claire, maybe this week we can challenge them to find something to fail at. It can be as simple as a tofu building sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> Another example was someone attempted to pick a lock with a bobby pin, but that was a, a creative one. They did not succeed. Someone mm. else uh, picked up water coloring and there's some very hilarious results <laughs> from that. Uh, somebody else was doing a, some kind of backflip in the pool. They're a swimmer and they luckily did not get hurt, but they got a lot of water up their nose attempting <laughs> to do that. So if you do this challenge, be safe, but have fun with it. And I think it's a a good experience to remind ourselves that we went through a lot to get where we are. A lot of our listeners, you know, maybe have been teaching for a long time, have been successful, but their students have a long way to go. And we need to remind ourselves what that place is like as a student who's just struggling and starting out with something new and what that experience is like and helps us relate more with our students. Definitely. Okay. I'm going to try to fail at something this week. And let's pick up this conversation next week and talk more about how we can help our students with growth mindset and recovering from failure. Cause I'll be recovering from failure as well. <laughs> Sounds great. Looking forward to hearing what you experience. All right. See ya. See ya.